breaks my heart when I see young people get up here and serve the Lord in that way. Caitlin, did you see her face when she was singing that song? Amen. That didn't come from here. That came from there. And we see, we see Joseph teaching Sunday school in the absence of his father, and Brendan gets up and sings. And uh, I get up here and make a fool out of myself, but that's okay, but it's the word of God. I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. And by, and by the way, Pastor, you just take your time and have a nice rest because you have earned it. You deserve it. Amen? The Bible says we must be born again. How many times have we heard that phrase, born again, must be born again? We've probably heard that hundreds of times, but have we ever stopped and think and thought or thunk or whatever about the true deep meaning of being born again? And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at the meaning of it, the application of it, the need of it, how to receive it, and the result of it, being born again. First of all, let's look at the meaning. Uh, we're going to be going to John chapter 3 for most, for most of the, the, uh, the service. So go to John chapter 3, please. The best person that I know to explain the true meaning of being born again was Jesus himself. So in John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, we see here in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou hast done, except God be with him. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Why do you think Nicodemus came to Jesus by night? Because he was afraid of the Pharisees. In John chapter 9, verse 22, it says, For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Jesus, was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. That means to be ostracized. If you were put out of the synagogue at the time of, of, of the temple, you were ostracized not just from the temple, but from society. You couldn't get a job. People wouldn't talk to you. Your family threw you out. It was a terrible thing to be ostracized. Nicodemus was afraid of that. He didn't want other Pharisees to see him go to Jesus, but he was curious. But that makes me think, are we ever sometimes afraid of our testimony before people that we know are not saved? Afraid to say something? Afraid to do something? Afraid of what people are going to think? We're going through that same thing that Nicodemus went through. And God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to be like Paul. He said, I am not afraid of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Nicodemus came to Jesus by night because he was afraid of what the other Pharisees might think. And he made the statement, we, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus did not comment on that statement. He went right to the core of the problem. And he said in verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Wow. Born again means born from above. Born from God. Born by God. 
Now Nicodemus did not understand. In verse 4 we see, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? There are a lot of people that believe in incarnation, and sometimes they use this verse to try to prove that, that incarnate. What is incarnation? Incarnation means to come back after death, come back as a different person. Another be not necessarily a person, it could be an animal too. But Jesus straightens Nicodemus out on that. But let's, for one second, I want you to understand something. Sometimes in the Bible, there are verses that are meant to be taken literally. For example, in Mark chapter 4, verse 39, it says Jesus was on the boat and there was a storm. And Jesus, and he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. That was literal. That happened. God spoke, or Jesus in, in the form of in God, the, man, the God part of his humanity, the God part of his person, talked to the weather and told the weather to shut up and be quiet and stop, and it did it. That literally happened. But sometimes there are verses in the Bible that are meant to be taken spiritually or figuratively. For example, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 10, God is talking to Cain here after he had killed his brother. And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. That's symbolic. Uh, uh, Abel's blood did not cry out to the point where Cain could hear it. But he was trying to show Cain, yeah, I know you killed your brother. His blood is right there. And I saw you do it. So that's not meant to be taken literally. It's meant to be taken spiritually. And this is what happens here when Jesus said, you must be born again. Nicodemus took it literally. He didn't understand. He thought that I had to literally be born physically again. But Jesus shows Nicodemus that he is speaking spiritually. Look at how he answers him. And, and what, a, what a way to explain what he meant. He said, Verily, verily, I said, verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except be a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, I believe that when he said born of water, he was talking about physical birth. And when he said born of the Spirit, he was talking about spiritual birth. Not everybody believes that, but that's what I think. Because the very next verse, he... he, he Explain it even better. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, or wants to, or, or goes. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell from whence it cometh, or whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the spirit. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen the wind? Can you see the wind? You can see the results of the wind. Especially this time of year, you see the, the, the leaves falling off the trees and landing in your yard. Every single leaf that's in my yard comes from a tree that somebody else owns. Ooh, that makes me so mad. That's why I cut my trees down, so I wouldn't have leaves. So somebody else's leaves come in my yard. We see the results of wind. We see tornadoes, deadly, powerful things that the, that caused by the wind. When you see a tornado, you're not seeing the wind. You're seeing all the dust and all the debris that's that, that swirled around in that tornado. The 
if you've gone through a hurricane and you've seen the wind of a hurricane take the roof off your house, that's the wind that does that. And, and Jesus said, the wind bloweth. You can hear it, but you can't see it. You can't tell where it's going to go, where it's coming from. And he says, being born of the Spirit is like that. It's a spiritual thing. You can't see it. I tell you, I'm born again. Can you see that I'm born again? You maybe, you maybe see from my testimony, from the way I live, but can you see the spirit that's in there? No, because it's a spirit. Being born again is not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. So that leads us to the question, why do we need to be born again? This is where it gets very important. We need to know why we need to be born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God and not get to heaven. I want you to go to, well, you don't have, yeah, go to Genesis chapter 2, please. I keep thinking you have an outline. You don't have an outline. I have it. Genesis chapter 2 and verses 16 and 17. This is very important that you understand this. This is why we need to be born again. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now let me ask you a question. When Adam ate the fruit, did he drop dead immediately? How long did Adam live after he ate the fruit or after he was created? 930 years. But here's, here's where we get the understanding here. In the original Hebrew language, that term, thou shalt surely die, it's the Hebrew word muth. Muth means to die. But it's said two times. It says, on the day that ye shall live, muth, muth, two times. Why did he say it two times? Well, the first time or the first move is in the infinitive tense. And a verb that's in the infinitive tense means it happens immediately. The second move is in the imperfect tense. And the imperfect tense is, is it describes a reaction of the verb as a process that happens over a period of time. So he said, ye shall surely die. A better way of saying that, or a good way of saying that, is dying, ye shall die. He died spiritually immediately. Adam and Eve were born with a spirit, a spirit of innocence. They knew nothing about sin. But when they disobeyed God's law, their spirit died. Their body didn't die. That happened years and years later. But their spirit died. And from the time of Adam and Eve until up until right now, everybody is born with a dead spirit. Our spirit is dead. Our soul is alive, our body is alive, but our spirit is dead. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, or wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death is passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So we have inherited a sin nature from Adam, right? So that means every time I sin, it's Adam's fault, right? No, 
Did you read that verse again? Therefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death has passed upon all men. Why? For that all have sinned. Don't blame Adam for your sin. Yes, you have a sin nature that you have inherited from Adam down through the generations, but you can't blame Adam for your sin because you sin by choice. Go to Romans chapter 3, please. I got to do that too. Romans chapter 3. I'll give you a chance to get there. It's taking me a while to get there. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Look at verses 10 through 18 and then 23. Romans 3.10. As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable to God. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You can't blame Adam and Eve for our sins. The sin nature came from Adam, for as by one man entered into the world, sin entered the world, and death by sin. He was the first human to sin, or Eve was, and then Adam went right along with it. But we can't blame Adam for that. So then there's the people that say, well, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, all right, I admit it. I'm a sinner. I sin. Here's my sin. And here's my good works. And if my good works outweigh my sin, God will take me to heaven. If my sin outweighs my good works, I'll go to hell. A lot of people believe that. A lot of people think that their good works will earn them the right to go to heaven. I'm a good person. I deserve to go to heaven because I've done this and this and this. Yeah, I'm a sinner. I, I've done that, that. Yeah, I sin too, but, but my good works outweigh my sin, and so therefore I deserve to go to heaven. You know what God says about that? Fooey. Go to Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah 64. I love this verse. I use this verse so many times. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. Isaiah doesn't pull any punches. He says, but all we are as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That's like the filthy rags that are wrapped around a leper. And I won't get into it, but they're filthy. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. I mentioned before about the wind and how you can see the wind blowing leaves off a tree. And I've said this dozens of times. Does that leaf have the ability to land in the yard that it wants to land in? Or is that leaf under the control of the direction that the wind is blowing. If the wind is blowing that way, the leaf is not going to go that way. Mm -hmm. 
All we are like an unclean thing, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Our good works cannot outweigh our sin. And even if they did, it doesn't matter because Jesus said, or, the, or Isaiah said, our iniquities in God's eyes are like filthy rags. We cannot earn, if we could earn our salvation, I said this this morning, if we could earn our salvation, why did Jesus have to die, right, Pastor? If, if, if I could earn my way into heaven, if I could be better than Jeffrey Dahmer, I'll go to heaven. If I could be better than Adolf Hitler, I'll go to heaven. If I could be better than Benito Mussolini, I'll go to heaven. Is that what the Bible teaches? My righteousness, the righteousness that I try to use to, if I were to, you try to use it to earn my way into heaven, in God's eyes, are as filthy rags. Because you know why? Because I have, by doing that, I have trodden down the death of his son and made it like a worthless thing. That's paraphrasing, but that's the idea. If I could earn my way to heaven, why would Jesus have to die? Right? It's not by keeping the law. It's not by good works. It's by trusting Jesus as our Savior and trusting the atonement that he did on the cross when he said, it is finished. So, how do we receive this spiritual new birth? By the grace of God. Thank God for his grace. Grace means favor. Grace means love. God, remember I said this morning, God does not hate the sinner. God hates their sin. And God is merciful. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ and has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now I know that most people think that that term quickened us together and raised us up together is talking about um, the whole church all together, raised us up together as all Christians. But I think, I like to think that when he says quickened us together, it means that spirit that was dead in trespasses and sin has quickened, made alive, together. Sorry. Together. And now we have a body and we have a soul. And now we have a spirit that has been made alive by trusting Christ as our Savior. Notice what it says there. It says, has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In God's eyes, we're already there. We're just, we're just pilgrims traveling in this world. This earth and this world is not our home. Our home is in heaven. And in God's eyes, we're already there. Because he has looked down and said, Tom, you trusted Christ as your Savior. You're as good as in heaven right now. Quickened us together, already there. Secondly, by believing. Here's the thing, folks. Jesus died on the cross as an atonement, but that doesn't mean we're all, everybody's saved because God requires believing. In John chapter 3, go, you can go there. Go, I think you're already there anyway, John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. Another wonderful, wonderful example. That Jesus, isn't Jesus great as far as giving examples 
so that we can fully understand it. And I said this before, but I'm going to say it again because it's very important. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, thank God, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth to him should not perish but have everlasting life. I think I read that twice. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He said, Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I told the story before, I'm going to tell it again. Remember the story. The people of Israel were complaining again, and this was in the wilderness. Well, this is in, I'm just going to tell you the story because we don't have to go there. It's in uh, the book of Numbers. They were complaining again, and so God sent poisonous serpents to bite the people, and they, many of them were dying. And they cried out to Moses and said, Moses, go to God and, and, and do something for us so that we won't die of this poison. And so God told Moses, all right, you make a brass or brazen serpent and put it on a pole and lay it in the center of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the people and tell the people, whosoever comes and looks at the serpent, they will be healed from their, from their poison. Now, once again, Let's make the contrast here. When Moses put the serpent, be careful, when Moses put the serpent on the pole, did anybody in the, in the people of Israel that were bitten, were they healed? What had to happen? They had to come and look. The song, Look and Live, they had to come and look at the serpent. To look at the serpent means that they believed the promise of God. And then they were healed. And it's the same way with salvation. The atonement is like the serpent on the cross. The atonement was made to pay for our sins, just like the serpent on the, on the pole was made to heal them from their poison. But the atonement does not save you. God requires us to believe. That's why he said, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish it, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He that, verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins? Amen. Then you're not condemned. That's just, he's the only one that's saved. He said amen. Yeah, Calvin too. Who else can say amen? Amen. Come on. Amen, right? Amen. Do you believe? Amen. You're not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Not because of the atonement, but because he did not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Isn't that wonderful? That's what being born again, and that's how we uh, receive it into our heart. But what about Nicodemus? In John chapter 3, <coughs> excuse me, we don't hear anything else about Nicodemus and John. We don't know if he <coughs> excuse me, believed or not. So what happened with Nicodemus? Go to John chapter 7. 
John chapter 7 and verse 50. This is when the Pharisees were trying to plan the death of Jesus. And verse 50 says, Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth the law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth. It's not important that he said that. The important thing is now, I believe that that term, he that came to Jesus at, at night, being one of them, doesn't mean being one of the Pharisees. It means being one of the believers. That's what I believe. Nicodemus being one of them. We already know that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. That wasn't necessary for, to put that in parenthesis. But being one of them that believed, he believed. Look at, go to chapter 19. And verse 39. After Jesus had died on the cross and they took his body down, now he's not afraid to be seen. Right? Look what, he's, look what it says here. Then, and there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. That's how we know it's the same Nicodemus. And brought a mixture of myrrh, a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight, and they took the body of Jesus and wound it up in linen cloths with the spices after the manner of the Jews to bury it. That was an act of belief. He didn't care that the Pharisees saw him do that because being one of them, he helped Joseph of Arimathea to do the, the right thing and, and bound his body up. I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to see Nicodemus there because he believed. He heard what Jesus said, and he believed it. So what are the results of the new birth? Wow. I could spend another hour talking about that. But let's just talk about two things. One of the results of the new birth is that we know that we have eternal life. First John chapter 5, I'll, I'll just read that. But I'm gonna, the second thing I'm gonna, I want you to read it, but First John chapter 5 verses 11 through 13, another great, great, great verse to use for when you're witnessing to somebody. Verse 11, and this is the record that God has given unto us eternal life, okay? The record is eternal life. God's given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. It's in Jesus. He that had the Son hath life. Do you have the Son? Yes. Then you have life, eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not seen life. You think you have, maybe. You may be, you may be a multimillionaire and you think you have life. But I don't think that happens because they don't really have life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may hope that you have eternal life. Right? No. That, we, that, me, that, that, uh, that me have, you may have a, a few doubts about it, whether you have eternal life. No. It says that ye may know for sure, convinced, no doubts that ye have eternal life. 
and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. One of the results of the new birth is that you know. There are some religions that teach that that's a sin to say that you know you're going to heaven. The sin of presumption, they call it. But the Bible says that ye may know that you have eternal life. Secondly, you'll never lose it. You can't lose your salvation. Go to John chapter 10. I love this. I love this. Again, Jesus is going to use an example of something that the Jews could readily understand. He's talking about sheep. The Israelites were shepherds at that time. If you go to Israel now, um, August will tell you, you'll see, you'll see shepherds all over the place with their sheep. So he spoke about sheep. And in John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30, he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Do you follow Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Are you following movie stars with twinkles in their eyes and facelifts and all kinds of makeup on their face? They look so good on TV, but you ever, have you ever seen them the first thing in the morning when they wake up? They're as ugly as I am, believe me. <laughs> my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. What's the next phrase? And they shall never perish. Amen. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Amen. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Amen. I and my Father are one. Amen. If I was held by my own hand, by my own good works, by my own earning, I ain't going to make it, folks. Right. But I am in God's hand. I love that picture. I have this a picture of, at home of a hand, a big picture like this of a big hand, and a little kid is kneeling in that hand. First he climbs up into it. Then he kneels there, and he looks up. He's looking at God, and he's in God's hand. And nobody's going to take him out of God's hand. Can, can the devil take you out of God's hand? Can you take yourself out of God's hand? No. If I had to depend on myself for my salvation, I'd be of all men most, what's the word? Miserable. But I don't have to depend on myself. I don't have to depend on the law. I don't have to depend on good works. I don't have to depend on anything but God's hand who's holding me. And that's why we must be born again. Oh, here it is. This is what I was looking for this morning. <laughs> I got it in the wrong place. Oh, well. Let me just say it now. We talked about faith. We talked about different words that are associated with faith. Well, there's one more word, and that is mercy. This ties in with the, with the message, too. He says, not by works of righteousness which we are done, but according to his mercy who saved us. By the washing of regeneration. What's that? What's the washing of regeneration? Being born again. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Blessed be, 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath 
begotten us again unto our lively or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As, as, as much as the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is a fact, so is our salvation a fact. Micah 7, 18 and 19 says, Who is God like a, who is a God like unto thee? What other God can there be like thou? That pardoneth iniquity and passeth by transgression of the remnant in his heritage. Why? Because Jesus already paid for it. He retaineth not his anger forever. Thank God for that. Because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. How did he subdue our iniquities? On the cross of Calvary. And thou shalt, I love this, cast all their sins, where? In the depths of the deep blue sea. There's a song, um, um, buried in the depths of the deep blue sea. Praise God, my sins are gone. Remember I told you justification, just as if I'd never sinned. God looks down at us that have trusted Christ. He doesn't see our sin anymore. He can't see our sin anymore because it's been laid, it's been put on the body of Jesus Christ on the cross, and he said it is finished. So if it was finished then, it's finished now. But here's the rub. Those of you on social media, You've heard a message about being born again. Those of you that are here, you've heard a message about being born again. You've heard some wonderful things about being born again. But you cannot apply it to yourself until you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Jesus didn't come the first time to judge the world. He came the first time to pay for the sins of the world and to offer us a way of salvation. But if you're not born again, if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, all these wonderful things that we looked at here cannot apply to yourself. You need to trust Christ as your Savior. And I pray that if there's anyone out there on social media or anybody, I don't think anybody here is, is unsaved, but anybody out there on social media who has, who has heard this message, I pray that you will take the time to trust Jesus as your Savior. I can't make you do it. Even God won't make you do it but he wants you to believe. And I say that in closing. Ye must be born again. Let's all stand. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. I surrender all. Number 489. Oh, you're going to do that? Beautiful. surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in his presence daily live I surrender all I surrender all 
before you can surrender your life to Christ, you have to surrender your soul to Christ. Because anything that you do in your own power is like filthy rags. So when we say, I surrender all, we're saying, I surrender my heart and my soul and my spirit to the, to the power of Jesus Christ. And it's in his hands. Let's close in prayer. That should be it. Father, we are so thankful that we can be born again by the power of God and by the action that you did on the cross. And we pray, Lord, that if there be any on social media or anybody that are in the hearing of, of this message who has not yet trusted Christ as their Savior, that they will do that today before it's too late. And we thank you in Jesus' name.